Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. This is the Bay Area Theater Podcast. I'm Richard Walensky. During the pandemic shutdown, when theater venues are closed throughout the country, this podcast has mostly been focused on my playwright interviews, which have been heard over the past several years on KPFA's Bookwaves, Open Book, and Artswaves programs, with new podcasts posted every Sunday. Today's Encore podcast was first posted on March 18th, 2019. My guest is Mfoniso Udafia, whose play Her Portmanteau plays at the Strand through March 31st. Another play in Old Age begins at the Magic. Previews start on March 27th. Mfoniso Udafia comes out of ACT originally, second generation Nigerian. Parents came over, born in Houston. Grew up there. Originally, were you going to be a lawyer, and then you changed professions? I did. It was only about five years in Houston, Texas. And then after that, moved up north to Massachusetts. My mom and dad, I think, saw the way that I talked and my zeal for argument and decided, oh, this one is a lawyer. And so that's exactly what I thought I was going to be when I was enrolled at Wellesley. And somewhere, I forget now, it's hazy, between sophomore and junior year, I started doing a lot in the arts and discovered a love for it and pivoted hard and decided I'm going to acting school. So I went to the American Conservatory Theater. I thought I was going to be some form of lawyer. So when you made the decision, you'd done some work and you just sent an application off to ACT? What I did was I didn't go right to grad school. I applied for their summer training congress. And so I did a summer program first and fell in love with it, fell in love with ACT, and then went back to Wellesley, completed my last year. I started taking lessons with Gail Fuller at Wellesley College, and I was training as a soprano, and I absolutely loved it. So I, you know, did that for some years at Wellesley, kept up my lessons after Wellesley. I don't know that I, I have not sang any recitals in a long time. I don't sing in the, with the same veracity anymore, but I do have a training. Do you do any acting anymore? I did. So this past February, I was in a show by a friend, Ngazi Anyangwu. She's a friend, a colleague, and one, I think, a formidable playwright. I starred in her show, The Homecoming Queen, at the Atlantic, off-Broadway. So I still do, but it's got to be for the right person, the right project, that I'll say yes now. Well, you were in one movie I saw. Oh, no. <laughs> you went far back. <laughs> Yes, I was in a movie by yet another friend and I think brilliant mind named Richard Leeds. It's called Fred Won't Move Out. And it starred like Elliot Gould and Fred Melamed. And yes. So yes, I was in a I was in a movie. Yes. So what happened? You weren't getting roles? No, I, I wasn't. I, to be honest, I was not getting roles. And I I had very sporadic 
booking and it was disheartening. And I was trying to do this in the middle of a really deep recession, 2009. And so I needed to pivot fast. I needed to eat. So, yes. <laughs> so, okay. So you're, you're in New York, mm -hmm. you're not getting the roles. What prompted you to start the Grove? I was teaching at the time. So I was doing a lot of substitute teaching and I think I started writing in order to process and understand the world I was living within. I had some, you know, it was what, like 26, 27 years old. And it's just that moment where you're becoming an actual, I feel for me, like woman, woman for me, that's when it, it was, I was a, a late bloomer. So I definitely had questions about that time period in life and what it means to self-identify and know yourself, especially when those weren't um, things that I did in the culture that I grew up in. I, I didn't feel the need to, but the American culture around me was asking me, who am I? Who are you? And hence comes the Grove. It was more of a processing play for me when I wrote it. When you talk about that, uh, you said in an interview at one point that one of the issues involving Nigerian, second generation Nigerian American, is that Nigeria deals more with a collectivist attitude toward a whole family, whereas we deal with individualism. Right. You kind of were caught between both of them at the time. Yes. I'm like, what happens if you come from a group of people that are like, we love the color yellow uh, and we don't like the color pink? And the entire collective goes, yes, that is the way to be. And then you are here in an individual society and an individualistic society. And it's like, well, whatever color you decide is your color. And so go forth and conquer, my dear. If you like yellow, we don't care. That's a really potentially stressful place to be. And so it kind of screws up what right and wrong is for you. It makes you sometimes feel guilty when you go, but I have these desires instead of going, we have these desires. So yeah, I wanted to, I needed to figure out how to process all of that. So you were just basically writing in the character Adiaga was kind of you in the early drafts. In the early drafts, yes. I was really trying to figure out, but I was, the question, I was, it was a broad question that I was trying to figure out, you know, it was like, is it okay to be an individual. Is it okay to say, I love you family and I have to do and be this person right now? It was more global, but yes, the questions that Iaga and I had were similar in that I want to individuate and I'm not sure if that's right. And I have a lot of guilt about it. Was Abbasiyama the mother in that one too? Yeah, Abbasiyama is a mom. So, you know, in looking that play, at that play, I definitely became fascinated by the people around that yaga, and it becomes more imaginative as I'm trying to understand what makes this girl Adyaga and who is she? And then you get her mom, Abbasiyama, her father, disciple, sister Toyima, brother, Ekong. The world starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And you finished the, the play and you were kind of continuing on your way. What prompted you or how did that play move in the direction of actually becoming produced? So this play has never been produced. Oh, really? The Grove has not been produced yet. I am waiting for the day <laughs> and I hope that it comes soon because I do love that play. What happened though with the Grove was I did start building community. So the play itself was read a number of times 
and uh, people started coming and going, let me know when you have other work, when will there be a production? And so I'm then writing Sojourners after the, the Grove and Sojourners really gains traction. The readings get bigger and bigger. I start sending it away to different producing and developing companies and Sojourners gets produced. And Sojourners, this is my guess, is mm -hmm. what happened is you're going, okay, Adyaga, where did she come from? Mm -hmm. And then that produces the initial story of her mother and father. That is correct. And so <laughs> from writing The Grove, I write the prequel. And I start now looking at when and how Nigerians came into this country after decolonization. And so it got, it got really big going, what is the actual immigrant experience? What did my mom, my aunt, my cousins, what did they go through in order to make me? And like, let's look at an entire people and movement and swing. And so you get sojourners where you have Abbasiyama first coming to this country and trying to make a life in a place that she doesn't know, doesn't understand, and it feels quite different than her homeland. In that play, you watch the beginnings of an African legacy lineage story happening on American soil. At that point, as you were writing that play, were you thinking, oh, there are other plays here too? I think so, yes. So by the time I finish Sojourners, I know I, I need another one. I'm like, I think this is going to be a trilogy. You know, and so there comes Run Boy Run, and each play takes a different structural form. So I finish Run Boy Run. It's it's like a play that's built on a kind of spiral structure, and we are definitely in disciples' gaze, and you're taking a look at a man in which past and present kind of conflate. You don't know where in the time-space continuum he is. And I finish that play, and I'm like, I'm still not done. And you grow out to five and then to nine. When you're working on Sojourners, and of course, you know, Grove was a little different in that you were just more or less feeling your way. At that point, you begin looking at the nature of dialogue. Mm -hmm. Was that easy or hard for you, particularly since you needed to combine a particular Nigerian language with English? Yeah. So I started looking, number one, I... I love, at least the, the Nigerians around me, the way we speak. There's an articulation, there's, there is an intelligence. The way we fight with words, it is florid, it is beautiful, it is, so it was fun to write what it is that I feel like I hear all the time, like the repartee with words. And then there are multiple languages spoken in Nigeria and a fluidity within transitioning between languages. And so I wanted to be authentic to that. And so when you see a play like Her Portmanteau specifically, you'll see characters that are flipping in and out of Ibibio, which is my people's mother tongue into English. And then depending on who you are, then you'll have, you know, the Creolized version Pigeon English happening. And then sometimes it's other dialects that people know that you're talking. So I wanted to be authentic, which meant not always writing in English, uh, writing in mother tongue. And then even some of the English that you are writing, because we do come, we were colonized by the Brits, can be very florid, very very uh, magnanimous in scope. The other part of it, of course, is that the, the political end of it, we're dealing with immigration. Mm -hmm. We're dealing with 
American exceptionalism mm -hmm. in particular. We're dealing with how people live in this country versus the myths of this country. Right. Since you're writing the personal rather than the general political, did you have any issue with balancing out the subtext of politics with making overt statements? Was that an issue at all in any of these plays? So I wanted to make sure in the writing of my plays that I told what I thought to be the truth. And most of the Nigerians that I know are extraordinarily proud of Nigeria. Uh, they hold Nigeria at like the center of themselves. And so this narrative here that um, immigrants are coming in order to gain something from the country, from America, that America is the place to be. And I do want my place to debunk that theory a little bit. There are immigrants that come into this country who are in love with their homelands and are seeking something and intend to go back. And so I am writing the story of a people that had no intention of staying in America. It was other circumstances that kept them here and hopefully making us grapple with our own embedded American exceptionalism, our, our thoughts on that. In her portmanteau, there's a point where the half-sister mm -hmm. of Adiaga coming over from Nigeria looks around her apartment and goes, you know, we have apartments that are much nicer than this in Nigeria, and this is nothing special. Right. And it's kind of a shock. It's like, we're not exceptional in that way. Sometimes the American theater for me doesn't actually put international bodies on stage that are actually talking about their love of home and the realities of home. I mean, with the president that we have that is talking about, oh, these blank hole countries, we need to do a lot of work. And I think theater can do that to start understanding what other people's homelands look like. And yes, some of the rents in Lagos are comparable to some of the rents in New York. You know, it's a country that has roads and houses and it's not whatever the concept we have in our mind always is. It's not what we've been taught, I think, Africa is. On the other hand, you know, you go to Japan, you go to England, mm -hmm. all through Europe, and you realize, you know, compared to, to that, America is kind of a blank hole at times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it wouldn't hurt if sometimes Americans also wrestled with a little humility. Let's get back to the creation of these plays. Okay, mm -hmm. so Run Boy Won't Run, what, what was the basic storyline and where does that fit into the nine play eventual cycle? So I think it's around play number three. It's definitely also the third play that I wrote. And I am looking at Disciple Ofat in particular, and I am looking at the Biafran War. And so the question of that play for me, the question of my life that I was asking that then comes out in this play, when do traumas become tradition? And I am looking at specifically the Biafran War and what happens when you have a little boy that saw war very early and how uh, a kind of growth trajectory stopped 
and zoom forward and he's an older man and he's still living at that moment in time. Uh, he's repeating that crisis every day. And how do you heal that? When do you find out the trauma of that, that you thought was a tradition? You're like, oh, this is just how our men are, as opposed to this is what happened to our men. And how do you love through that? And should you? Those are some of the major questions of that play, all told through the body of Disciple Ufot. Well, this means that you actually are moving from dealing with women to men. In this play, yes. Yeah. Was that hard for you? Or? Uh, no, I don't. I don't actually. I don't think so. I mean, listen, the woman's heartbeat is still within this play because, it, you know, it, it's disciple and Abbasiyama and how Abbasiyama and if Abbasiyama chooses to love him through this moment. Was it hard? It wasn't hard. It wasn't hard. I had so many questions about an older generation of man that I'd been seeing, Nigerian man. And I wanted to know from them, men that I love, 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 what happened and why is the world being processed in the way it's being processed? But I say it's not hard because I have such love for these men. Next play was Her Portmanteau, which right. is playing until the end of March at ACT Strand Theater. At what point did you say, well, now I want to examine Abasiyama and Adiaga and the sister Inyabasi and how that came together? Inyabasi is kind of an inversion of Sojourners. So Sojourners, Abasiyama gives away her child, and in her portmanteau, her child returns. And for the question of Sojourners, it's like, does the African dream, Nigerian dream, work within an American environment, right? And now you get to her portmanteau, the question is, should it work? And how do I heal from decisions I had made in the past? And so I am really looking at the reckoning of a decision over a course of time and refocusing us in America again and trying to go, should we make the same choice again? Is America still the same place or must you leave? And that takes place in the present time. That takes place closer to our present time, 2014, yeah. Where'd the name come? Her portmanteau. So her portmanteau, it, it's literally the uh, Ine Abassi comes with a portmanteau, a piece of baggage. <laughs> she comes with some baggage and inside you'll, you'll see the play and then you'll see what is inside the baggage. But she comes with some baggage. It's called her portmanteau because this is a play of three women and they are all carrying baggages of some sort. It's just Ine Abassi's is perhaps the most clear to see. Because it's physical. It's physical. And also what has happened to her in terms of abandonment, she wears that a lot closer. But you'll soon notice that Adiaga has her portmanteau and so does Abasiyama. Infamiso Udafia, mm -hmm. in old age, takes us into the future. Abasiyama is now an old woman. Yes. And she meets up with a handyman. Is that yes. it? His name is Azel Abernathy, and her children sent Azel Abernathy to her as a gift to get her house in order. And this is my closest thing to a passion play. Like I, I think I alluded to, all of these plays are different. 
structurally. And so this is a seven-day uh, creation story in and of its sorts where Abbas Yama has to figure out what the purpose of her life has been. And I, I think it's, it's a question that is not, it's not like a easy question and it doesn't have an easy answer, but there's something about Abbas Yama that hasn't spent some time alone and clean and also in a love space. That is not what her life has given her. And in, in old age, she has seven days to get herself to a point where she can love both herself and someone else. And then the next transition of life can occur. So it's multiple scenes. It's multiple scenes over the course of seven days. It sounds as if by the time you reach in old age, you kind of charted out the nine Plays. Yeah, I know what they are. <laughs> I know what these plays are. So, I do. So it's just a question of which one you're going to write first. I've already written Audie and Clara Snatch Joy, which is the end of the cycle. That'll be the ninth play. So I wrote the end to know where I need to go in the middle. And the other three plays will be Kufre's play and Kufre's a little boy that um, Inyabasi's son in her portmanteau, and that's commissioned by ACT. So I will be finishing writing that. It'll be a children's play. And is that one, is he coming, going to come to America? He's or? going to come to America. He's going to end up in New York and like the little Senegal portion of America. As an adult? York. We're still going to keep him in the land of boys. So uh, in his teenage years. So each of these plays examines the immigrant experience, the Nigerian immigrant experience, mm -hmm. from a slightly different, Different angle. Exactly. Exactly. And so now you're going to get the teenage boy's viewpoint. <laughs> How close is Adiaga to you at this point? Right. It's interesting. I'm making a movement that you all will not be able to see on radio. <laughs> it, uh, it ebbs and flows. There are moments where we're very close. There are moments where we're not. And right now, I would say where I am... It is close to where Adiaga is and Adiaga and Clora snatch joy and that where I am is very joyful. I am interested in joy. And so we are close. There are moments that we are not close. I am not close to whatever the grove is. I'm not close to her portmanteau, but I am close to the joy of Adi and Clora and Adi and Clora snatch joy. For you, mixing autobiography and fiction, mm -hmm. Does it get scary at times because you have to reveal yourself and you're not sure whether you're revealing yourself or a fiction? It does, but I think we all flirt with that in our own ways. So, you know, like, who is the self that goes and deals with the boss? Is that myself or is that some refraction of myself? Is this a self that I am choosing to be right now? Is this what I want you to see or what I think you should see? It's the same thing I think all of us do. And yes, sometimes it's difficult and sometimes I surprise myself while I'm writing even myself and go, is this me or is this whoever? Right. And that's why I'm like, it's important to realize that it's all a kind of fiction. It's a moment in time. And who knows where I decide to explode and or collapse. So. A couple final questions. First off, do you see yourself ever playing any of these characters on stage? 
I do now. When I first wrote, I thought, I'm writing these parts for me to play. And then I was like, oh, I don't want anything to do with them. And now as I have been writing long enough and the the plays are expanding and, you know, I'm starting to really surprise myself by what I'm writing. There's some characters that I'm like, I just want to see what it's like to play her. That's great. So, yes, I think I'm ready to entertain it now in a way that I wasn't able to entertain it in 2009. Do you see yourself writing fiction then? Moving away from plays, writing a book. Oh, I think that's a whole other kind of meal. I'm not sure. You know, I haven't really thought about that. I have begun the process of writing for TV, and that has felt very natural. So I wrote on the third season of 13 Reasons Why, and I'm on a pro- another project right now. And that has been really interesting and a different genre and a different way of using my brain that I think is going to help and push my playwriting even further in certain ways and then other things I might decide to leave behind but I am interested in that and it might take me a second longer to get to narrative but I wouldn't rule it out. And finally um, is there interest from Hollywood on the nine cycle plays? Oh I don't know. (laughs) Or you can't say. I don't know. I am I am I am in the middle of taking a look at what it would look like. So I'm rotating that in and around my myself. Who knows what I'll spit out? A quick rundown. Okay. The Grove is first. Yeah. Uh, no, Sojourners. Sojourners, but Grove was written first. Yes. Sojourners, Run Boy Run, Her Portmanteau, An Old Age, the one about... Kufre. Kufre's Kufre. play, the children's play. And then you have Toyoima's play, which will be the sister you meet in the grove, the other sister. And then after that, you have, oh, Ekong's play, who's the, uh, the other brother. And then after that, you have Ariaga's pure play to uh, Ariaga and Cloris natural. Joy. And that one is already written. And that one's already written. Uh, any interest in performing it or you're going to wait? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I've given you all of the, the a couple opaque who knows. I don't know yet. I'm Richard Walensky, and join me next Sunday for another edition of the Bay Area Theater Podcast.